This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Welcome to the Friday morning break with John Gibbs. My guest this week, Dennis Sherwood. We discuss the A-level results, the marking system, the fairness of both of those, and how we should view the results that we saw on Thursday. For a fascinating discussion, join me and Dennis Sherwood. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out, with Teachers Talk Radio. And we're back after the introduction, the music's died away, so we're back with my guest, Dennis Sherwood, who, as I said in the introduction, you'll remember, uh, we were just discussing eight months or so ago now that we talked before, the, the revelation really, and it, came as, it didn't come as a complete revelation to me, because I've never liked exams particularly, but the revelation that we may have to think seriously about the reliability of exams. So Dennis, welcome once again to Teachers Talk Radio. Well, uh, thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be with you again. And indeed, uh, given that the A-level results are out in what uh, next Thursday and GCSEs the Thursday after that, this is a timely conversation. It is. And uh, once again, um, I'd retired just before, a little while before we spoke last time. And so I'm not going through the anxiety that this, <laughs> this, this time of year always represented for me as a teacher. And I retired just before the lockdown and all of that. And so that that was what that filled up some of what we discussed last time, but a lot has happened in the meantime. So, so Dennis, I mean, we when we, when last we spoke, we were going through quite the trauma of lockdown, the algorithm scandal. It really was the reversal by the government. What's happened since? Yeah, well, um, you know, exams were back for real, as you know, every student uh, in in the country knows. You know, in uh, back in uh, June and July, the results will be out in August, and it sort of looks as if things are back to so-called normal. And indeed, coming back to normal is the um, official phrase. Um, but normal has got some consequences. Um, firstly, is it normal? Well, to my mind, the effects of COVID are still there. Um, they'll still be there in terms of, I think, the uh, gap between North and South and, and various other measures in the uh, results about to happen. Um, and it will still be there. There will be a tail next year as well by virtue of the different standards being used in different years to judge the same kids. So, for example, the kids doing A-level this year are going to be judged according to Ofqual to 2019 standards, but they themselves did their GCSEs two years ago, 2021, their TAGs, and that was a very, very different standard. So the, the same children are being judged two years apart on different standards. That will happen again with next year's a-level cohort. And so the effects of COVID are running on long. The other thing that's happened um, or not happened is that grades are as unreliable this year as they were in the 2010s. But there's been a lot more political discussion about the reliability of grades at the various parliamentary select committees over recent months. 
Mm. Dennis, before we get on to that, which I really want to talk about, if it, why is there this pressure for the government to sort of say it's back to normal? I mean, it clearly isn't. There, there are these other students who experience the lockdowns and so on in their GCSE years and such like. Is it that? Is it what? The, the, why is there? Is there a political desire just to move on, announce things are, are normal or something? This this idea of back to normal. Um, I think yes. you know that that word political desire or that phrase political desire is pretty well uh, spot on the mark. Um, you've got the DFE, you've got Ofqual, particularly relevant for exams, and of course the other thing that has happened over the last several months is all the fuss about Ofsted, the other uh, department uh, that is very much engaged with schools, and the official line is we must revert back to what was happening in the 2010s, and in Ofqual's case, their major um, objective is, as they call it, grade inflation, where they are seeking to return the distribution of grades to the kind of levels that they were in 2016, 17, 18, 19. And what that means is that if you've got a cohort of kids 800,000 kids doing GCSE English or 250,000 doing GCSE Geography or however many thousand it is doing A-level French, that population of students within each subject is split up into the grades, A-star to U or 9 to U, and in the 2010s, late 2010s, they had a given distribution. So many percent of young people got this grade in this subject and that had been stable reasonably year on year, 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19. Now, in 2020, when the great algorithm fiasco occurred, that went through the window. And indeed, it kept going through the window in 2021. And the grade distributions in those two years were significantly shifted to higher grades. More young people got higher grades than hitherto. And since 2022, when exams first returned, and this year and next, Ofqual's major objective is to push the distribution back to 2019 levels, and indeed that is their declared objective for this year. As far as I'm concerned, 2019 is totally arbitrary distribution, and has got all sorts of uh, issues associated with it, which I'm sure we've discussed. But there's no kind of um, intrinsic reason why that should be the answer, but it is. Would it be fair to say that an, opportun- an opportunity has been missed? I saw an, a, an, a, a Guardian article, which was the title of that, it opens with a view. I can't remember who wrote it, so I made a note. But it was a Guardian article which said something like, and it was written during 2021, and it was that you know the, the algorithm, the lockdown, has made us have a good think about the way we assess exams and think about exams. And a lot of things came out, not least was your book, but the... It seems like it's the, the rush to go back to normal as if this brushed that under the carpet. We didn't uh, do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, using a mega brush. Um, 2020 was such a wonderful opportunity to think freshly and to think freshly in fresh ways. Because there we were without exams and an open question, how can we assess young people and do that fairly in the absence of a written exam. And there were so many opportunities which were totally, totally lost at that time. Um, One of them, and one I feel particularly strongly about, is no one asked the young people. 
I remember in January of 2020, when it was announced that um, the lockdown would happen, there'd be no schools. I remember talking to lots of teachers and saying, why don't you get an assembly of your kids together and say, you know, Houston, we've got a problem. What do you think is a fair way of assessing us that you would trust, that you think your parents would trust? And let's work that through. That didn't happen. And there are so many other ways in which young people can be assessed without sitting down for two hours on a sweaty day in June and, you know, chewing your pencil or whatever we do these days. Um, and of course, other countries do it totally differently as well. Um, none of those opportunities were taken in 2020. And even worse, 2021, the tags, because that was, uh, you know, once again, a, a political setup the way that was done. And there were two years we could have done great exploration and experimentation to find better ways of assessing young people. And that was dashed and we're forced back to these cliff edge grade exams. What a tragedy. Yeah, it is really. And they, it's a lost opportunity. And also the, the presentation of this is very much that, well, exams, there isn't much of an alternative. And anyway, they're the only really fair way, a kind of snapshot that is fair to all. <laughs> that is clearly not the case. Fair to all. And, um, you know, what, what could be fair? We've all done it. You go into the exam room, you're there with your pencil, your pen, and you do what you do. And yet it's still the case that you, that, that we could, the, as acknowledged, that one exam in four is wrong. I know the defence of that is, well, there's an appeals process, so that's not a problem, which we'll get on to. <laughs> and, um, and, and that uh, what, the exams are not reliable to one grade either way. And that's still true. Um, Dennis, would you like to just refresh us why that is um, true? Yeah, just before we do that, John, if I might just pick up one of the things you said, you used that magic phrase, exams are the fairest way. Now, um, it may be that some people who are, you know, will be participating in, in, in this were listening to the Today programme on BBC Radio 4 literally three days ago on Monday. Because Dr Joe Saxton, the off-call chief regulator, was interviewed at about sort of 20 to 9 on that programme. And she used those exact words. She said, we all know that exams are the fairest way. And she went further. She said, and please check it out, anyone on the recording of the Today Show. She said that she went out and talked to young people around the country who were clamouring for real exams. So she portrayed the examination system as something that young people are you know, burning for and feel diminished if they don't have them and that they are the fairest Way well is having one grade in four wrong fair to all our young people. Um, let me just put some numbers around that. Right now, about one point two million, rather more than young people, are awaiting their AS, A level, and GCSE results. The number of grades that will be awarded in a couple of weeks' time will total rather more than six million. And obviously, there are more grades than there are uh, young people because people do several subjects. 1.2 million young people, 6 million grades, of which about 1.5 million will be wrong in a way I will describe in a moment. But I just want to contrast 1.5 million wrong grades 
with 1.2 million young people. The number of wrong grades is greater than the number of candidates. So on average, every young student in the land, every A-level student, every AS student, every GCSE student, on average, will have one wrong grade. Now, in fact, it doesn't quite work out like that, because if you're only doing, say, maths as a single subject, you're probably going to get the right grade. But most young people do more than one subject, so it sort of averages out. But there are more wrong grades going to be awarded, in inverted commas, in a couple of weeks' time than there are young people. Now, that's really bad. And anyone listening to this is going to say, it's terrible. Anyone listening to this is going to say, well, wrong, that's a very... Um... You know, pejorative kind of negative term you can't you can't mean they're actually wrong i can so let me explain okay we've got to backtrack a bit to explain so i hope i'm not being sort of too long-winded or obscure it goes back to the fact that the way we do exams gives all of our young people some opportunity to express themselves in their own words in contrast to basically multiple choice or exams as a surrogate for who wants to be a millionaire. If exams are structured like that, there's only one right answer. You tick it and it's right or wrong, end of story. But even if you're doing some maths and there are some marks given for how clearly you show your working, let alone a history essay, you're expressing yourself in your own words. And that means when an examiner comes along to mark it, an examiner is using experienced professional judgment to say, well, is that six out of 10 or seven out of 10? Now, it turns out, and we all know this, is that even really experienced professional experts will have slightly different judgments when they're judging someone else's work, which is free form, an essay, for example. So you might mark my essay as six out of 10, whereas one of your colleagues might give me, say, seven out of 10. You haven't made any mistakes. Neither of you have got anything wrong, but it's just professional judgment. And of course, we see this in everyday life. Um, We see it on Strictly Come Dancing. We see it in the judging of Olympic diving. We see it when an art expert is giving an opinion on a work of art. Is it good? Is it bad? Or a music critic or a film critic. We know this. Now, the discrepancy of marks isn't much. It's only a mark or two. And this is quality controlled by the exam board, won't go into that now, but it is, and it's done very well. But the consequences are dramatic. Let's suppose that it was six or seven for one particular question. When we add up all the marks for all the questions on the exam, it might turn out that I would get, say, 64 from one examiner, but 66 from another examiner. Totally, totally plausible. It's only two marks difference. So what difference does that make? Well, after all the marking has been done, long after, well, days or weeks after, but separate from the marking process, Ofqual with the exam boards set the grade boundaries, which they do in their magic way. Now, suppose it turns out that the grade boundary is set that all marks between 61 and 70 inclusive are designated A-level grade B. If my mark was a 64 or a 66, that's fine. It's a grade B either way. But let's suppose that Ofqual put the B a grade boundary at 65. 
So 66 is an A, but 64 is a B. Now that makes all the difference in the world because it means that whether I get a B or an A for exactly the same answer depends on the lottery of whether I got 64 or 66 as the mark, both marks being equally valid. And that's where this problem comes from. So if you've got this choice between 64 grade B and 66 grade A, remember only one of those ends up on the certificate. So which one is right, which one is wrong? They can't both be right, can they? Now, Ofqual unravel all of that. And Ofqual define a thing called the definitive or true mark, which corresponds to the definitive or true grade. Definitive meaning it's right, true meaning, well, actually it's true as well. And they define that by reference to the mark of a senior examiner. And every subject has got a senior examiner who oversees the whole process. And indeed, if all the scripts were marked by that one senior examiner, this problem would be, in essence, go away because the same standard is being used for every script. If you've got 800,000 GCSE English scripts, you can't do that. So you've got to have everyone else, lots of other non-senior ordinary examiners marking. And then you get this, this spread. So if you had a senior examiner marking them, it would still be a subjective judgment, but it would be one one person's subjective judgment. Therefore, it's the same for everybody. <laughs> Whatever you think about the process, it would be the it's same. It's the same for everybody. It would be the same, provided two things are true. One, that the examiner doesn't get tired. And the examiner actually uses the same standard as he or she reads more scripts. I know when I've done marking, I have softened as I've read more of the scripts because I've seen, you know, more or less what people are doing. The first script I mark, I've got my own kind of view of, you know, what the world should look like, and I'm usually pretty tough, so I have to go and mark them all again. But in principle, one senior examiner marking all scripts works. If we've got lots of examiners, then the senior examiner's mark is definitive or true. And let's say that this is, in the case we've talked about, it was the 66. Now, it turns out that my certificate says 64 grade B. So that's not the definitive mark and not the definitive grade, because the definitive mark by the senior examiner is 66 grade A. But my certificate shows grade B. Now, imagine a world where I could send my script back and request a remark on appeal and get it remarked by the senior examiner. It would come back 66 grade A. The grade would be changed upwards. Now, what am I going to say? I'm going to say thank you. That's good. What a relief. But I will say that grade B must have been wrong and the grade A must be right because if the first one wasn't wrong, why would they change it? So... One in four grades, actually, in the whole population is wrong in that way, in that if one in four scripts of all the scripts, all the six million that have been marked, were to have been originally marked by a senior examiner, a quarter of them would have ended up with a different grade, and that would be either higher or lower, about in equal proportions. But one in four grades is actually, by Ofqual's own admission, non-definitive, or untrue, or false, or more simply wrong. And that's a fact. 
Yes, and in anyone's language, as you say, you know, looking at that and saying, well, well my, my grade was wrong and it was changed. So if you said your grade is potentially wrong, unless you had it appealed, then wrong wrong is the word to use. What do you, I mean, Ofqual make a lot of, um, well, they say the defense of that, in a sense, is that there's an appeals process and a limited number of appeals and so on. They, so they say, well, this, this, this is dealt with by the appeals process. Is that, is that the case? Uh, no. Uh, unfortunately and regrettably not. Um, and this is all um, the result of a change in the rules for appeals, which was implemented in the summer of 2016. Um, a lot of people will be listening to this, I'm sure, who either experienced their own or their kids or grandkids or whatever it is, uh, exams before 2016. And they'll be thinking, but, you know, I appealed and I got a grade changed. Yeah. Since 2016, it's been different. And it's very hard to untangle this because it's not explicitly stated. If you are unhappy with the grade you get, you can raise what is called a challenge, not an appeal. That's different. So when you look at the number of appeals, it's very small because an appeal is something different. You need to look at the number of challenges, which is much bigger. If you raise a challenge, you have to pay a fee. The fee is refunded if the grade is changed, but is forfeit if the grade is not changed. And that is a huge barrier, especially for state schools, because it's a, you know, you know, there's a prospect that the money will be, in essence, lost. And, you know, they're tight for cash. In independent sector or with uh, youngsters who have more wealthy parents, much less of a problem. But there's a real disadvantage, advantage gap there in just raising a challenge in the first place. Now, most people believe or think that if you raise a challenge, you get the script remarked. No. I know it doesn't say that on the OCR, JCQ, sorry, OCR, AQA and Pearson's websites, or indeed on the Ofcore website. But if you look carefully at the JCQ joint Commission on Qualifications website, it says this is not a remark. And indeed, on the SQA in Scotland, it says this is not a remark. So if it isn't a remark, what is it? They call it a review of marking. It kind of sounds like a remark, but it isn't. What it is, is this. The first thing they do is they check that the questions have all been marked, which is a good thing to do because, you know, these things can happen. The question could get missed. So let's check that. They then check that all of the marks for all of the mark questions have been added correctly to the right total, which is another good thing to do. They then do the subtle bit, which they check that there are no marking errors. Now, that sounds very reassuring, but there's a real catch in no marking errors. Do you remember I said that, that there was no error between the 64 and the 66 because they're both valid marks? Well, if someone were to review the 64, there are no marking errors. Therefore, the grade B is confirmed, even though it's different from the grade that would have been given by the senior examiner. It is not a remark. It's a check that the mark is not unreasonable. It is not a check that the mark is the mark that would have been given by a senior examiner. Now, there seems to be a very subtle difference between those two, but it makes all the difference in the world. 
because if I were to appeal that script mark 64 challenge rather, if I were to pay my money, they would check that all the questions have been marked, they would check that 64 is the right number, and they would verify that there are no marking errors, and they would confirm grade B, the non-definitive, the untrue, the false, the wrong grade. Now, that all changed in 2016. Before 2016, it would have been remarked by a senior examiner, so there would have been a second expert opinion. To check that the mark is not wrong is very different from checking that the mark is right. It makes all the difference in the world. So the appeals process has been designed to prevent this kind of grade error from being discovered. And if you read what Ofqual wrote in 2016 to explain this, their words are these, it is unfair to have two bites at the cherry. My words are, even when that first bite is poisoned, it is unfair to get the antidote. Yeah, I don't know what that says about driving. Yeah, what does that say about driving tests? And <laughs> a lot of forms of assessment where you can resubmit. I mean, there are all sorts of professional qualifications where you get so many, you know, you do it for a number of times until you pass the thing. So they're not fair. That's an extraordinary thing. So two, two questions occurred to me as you, you were describing that. The appeals process where you genuinely get it remarked by a senior examiner, that still exists, but it's, still, it's more expensive. No, it's only there after you've had that first review of marking hurdle. If, in fact, a marking error has been discovered, so, for example, if one of the questions, the marker had gone way away from the mark scheme, if they can identify a marking error, then the script is remarked. But it has to pass that first hurdle of a marking error. And in all the 1.5 million wrong grades of which I speak, all of those are attributable simply to a difference of academic opinion where that range of marks straddles that grade boundary. It comes back to the 64 and the 66 and the fact that the grade boundary is at 65. So that range of marks straddles. If the range of marks 64 and 66 are within one grade width, doesn't matter. Now, it so happens, and the thing that is most surprising is how frequently this range of marks straddles a great boundary. It happens for one script in every four. You know that before you start the exams. However, when this became clear as a result of Ofqual's research in 2016, Ofqual decided to change the rules for appeals. What a coincidence. So, so 2016 is, is a fix. Ah, what an interesting word. <laughs> it's a, it's not, I mean, that's the other question that occurred to me as you were talking was, why? why? Why was this reform, this change introduced? What was, what was going on before 2016 that they thought, well, we need to fix this, we need to change this? Well, um, once again, uh, if you go back into uh, history, you'll find um, the chief regulator at the time is a lady called Glenis Stacey, was at that time. Um, the chair at that time was Amanda Spielman. Um, Dennis Stacey stepped down from her role as chief regulator in February 2016. Um, she did other things. She's now Dame Glenis Stacey, very distinguished. Anyway, um, in September of 2014, Glenis Stacey wrote a blog saying they are alert to this problem of differences in opinion or marking, and they really want to study it. 
So in September 2014, there's a reference to a research project which would study this. If you clock forward to the 18th of November 2015, it's rather more than a year later, there is a board meeting of Ofcom. And the board papers are actually in the public domain. So there's a board paper on the 18th of November 2015 saying the report for the study of marking consistency is now complete. It's in the report, paragraph 28 of the report. So that seems to suggest that this information is available in November 2015. On the 10th of December 2015, that's a couple of weeks later, Ofcol go out to consultation to change the rules for appeals, as just described. If you go back to the record, if you talk to the people who were involved, if you talk to the unions like ASCOL, HMC and AHT, they will tell you of the lobby they tried to put on Ofcol not to implement that change. And it was across all the press as to that being a bad change to introduce this marking error test. Regardless, 29th of May 2016, Ofqual pushed that through so that you can no longer have that remark based on differences in academic opinion. November 2016 shows the publication of a report called Marking Consistency Metrics. It's the first report I found subsequent to the 18th of November 2015, a year earlier, which talks about this stuff. So my hunch is that the report published in 2016 is the report that had been completed in November 2015, a year earlier. And guess what? It contains some evidence, but not complete evidence, that one grade in four is wrong. And this was actually picked up in Schools Week There's an article in Schools Week on the 14th of November 2016, which talks about this. It turns out, though, that that 2016 report, November 2016, is incomplete. And it wasn't until November 2018, two years after that, that the real evidence became available. So you've got a timeline there. From 2014, we need to understand this. A research project, a board paper in 2015 saying it's completed a change in the rules of appeals, publication partially and then finally of the fact that because of this effect, about one grade in four is wrong. That's all in the public domain. What was going on behind the scenes? I don't know. I wasn't there. So so it's it's still, in a sense, it is mysterious because I'm listening to you thinking, well, why, why do that? It's, again, a political change, something understood in the in the minds of politicians and not not anything and the unions oppose this and people look at it or disagree with it so the end result anyway is that appeals are not what you think they are so if you're thinking as the results come out next week well don't worry the appeals process is okay it's effectively just a, a kind of process it's a process check and the process can well, go wrong and for sure there are changes but fundamentally what we're talking about the process is working except that The policy for how grades are determined and what appears on the certificate means that, you know, one grade in four is subject to this problem that I've talked about. And there are so many of them that on average, it's going to happen to every student in the country, but no student in the country will know which grade in which subject, nor can they ever find out.
It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centered French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. With exam results looming for students from all four home nations and around the world, Schools Week features an article concentrating on the ongoing impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. The article, written by a head teacher, says we need to continue to consider the additional burden of the pandemic. It reminds us that this year's Year 13s were part of a cohort who didn't sit GCSE exams, and that this year's Year 11s were in Year 8 when lockdowns began, although the start of GCSE was supposed to be a return to normal for these students. Teachers too faced the challenge of a return to normal content, having had it reduced over the last two years. ECTs also needed some increased support in delivering the broader content for a number of GCSEs. Workload for pupils and teachers shifted and perhaps increased as schools tried to find the right balance of support, revision and basic content coverage by often offering after school and holiday intervention sessions. Whatever happens for individuals on results days this year, the ghost of the pandemic, he says, has not disappeared just yet. The Guardian reports on new local government association research which suggests council-maintained schools in England outperform academies in Ofsted ratings. The research found 93% of council-maintained schools were ranked good or outstanding by Ofsted as of the 31st of January 2023. This compared with 87% of academies that have been graded since they converted. The study also found only 57% of academies that were already an academy in August 2018 managed to improve standards from inadequate or requires improvement to good or outstanding, compared with 73% of council-maintained schools. The research has prompted many to question the evidence for a move away from council-maintained schools. Currently, 80% of secondary schools and 40% of primaries are academies. Councils were last able to open maintained schools in 2012. A Department for Education spokesperson said academy reforms have played a major role in increasing the proportion of good or outstanding schools. Mary Bowstead of the National Education Union said allowing local authorities to open new maintained schools would boost the ability to respond to demographic changes by opening quality provision. Whilst the research has been seen by many as a warning about the risks of government policy on academisation, some have pointed out that because schools who are failing are required to convert to academies, the numbers are always going to be skewed. A report by the Children's Commissioner shows that eating disorders such as bulimia, anorexia and binge eating are on the rise in England. Figures suggest that in the UK an estimated 1.25 million have an eating disorder 
but that young people under the age of 25 are disproportionately affected. The report points to NHS figures which it says show a large and recent increase in the numbers of hospital admissions for young people due to eating disorders, with almost half being for those under 25. Whilst the large majority of those affected are female, admissions of young men have more than doubled in the period from 2015-16 to 2020-21. However, according to the report, whilst the number of children and young people starting treatment has more than doubled, so have waiting times for the beginning of treatment. Urgent cases now take more than 12 weeks to begin. The report suggests that government need to tackle some of the drivers of disordered eating, including online content and forms of social media. In the USA, the Education Secretary, Miguel Cardona, says the Supreme Court decision to eliminate affirmative action may help to axe legacy and donor-based college admissions. The Guardian covers the story which focuses on the college admissions process across America. The wealthiest Americans, who are overwhelmingly white, benefit disproportionately from college admissions based on familial relations with alumni and school donors. Cardona praised colleges who have already stopped legacy admissions, including Wesleyan University, Johns Hopkins and Massachusetts Institute of Technology. He said these and other schools were making sure they're doing more for diversity than they were doing before the end of affirmative action. He did, however, make his criticism of the decision by the Supreme Court clear when he said that there are brown and black kids who are going to feel like they're not wanted. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. So since we last spoke, you've, you've, you've been making this known. <laughs> you've published a book. You've, uh, you've held conferences online. Uh, you've spoken. You've spoken on the Today Programme. You've been referred, spoken on the Today Programme. Referred program, to. Or referred to on the Today Programme. Referred to on the Today Programme. You've been referred to in articles. Is there any traction for change, or is it just again this week where we came in with this? It's like uh, don't look, don't look, you know, look over there, don't look at the man behind the curtain. You know, this is this is normal. We're back to normal. Yeah, well, um, it's um, uh, that's a, a powerful question, uh, and you'll get different answers from different people. There will be two communities. Um, one of the things that actually is before our first broadcast that is a really important milestone um, happened just after the uh, algorithm fiasco. That was August of 2020. Um, the House of Commons have what they call the Education Select Committee, which is a really important body which oversees education in this country. And formally, both Ofsted and Ofcol are accountable in a kind of managerial sense to the Select Committee in that they are non-departmental government bodies, so they do not report to the Department for Education. They're independent of the Department of Education and report directly through to Parliament. So the Select Committee is the boss. Now, on the second, pardon me, on the second of September, twenty twenty, as it drains up on the algorithm, they had a meeting, and most of the meeting was about what happened with the algorithm. But also present was the lady I've just mentioned, Dame Glenis Stacey, who'd been helicoptered in to become the chief regulator at Ofcol after her predecessor, Sally Collier, had departed quite quickly after the algorithm fiasco. So Dame uh, Dame Glenys was brought in as a safe pair of hands, as indeed she is, to steady the ship after the algorithm. Now, looking ahead from September 2020, I think everyone in the country hoped, if not expected, 
that COVID will have gone away and that at least life would be back to normal life, that schools would be open and everything would be uh, regular and there would be exams. We didn't know that the lockdown was going to continue into 2021 at that time. So right at the end, looking ahead to what would happen next year, Dan Glenis has asked a question about the reliability of grades. In fact, is it the case that one grade in four is wrong or that 75% are right, that sort of thing? Her reply is on the record. And she said, grades are reliable to one grade either way. Now, she didn't actually deny the question. She didn't agree, yes, one grade is in four is wrong. But she said something a little bit oblique. Grades are reliable to one grade either way. Now, that was the chief regulator of the exam board, Ofqual, the lady that commissioned the research I talked about in 2014, 15, 16. So she really knows. Now, if you take that statement alone, it was unqualified. It wasn't this exam, this subject, this grade. It was grades. So that means that kids now, kids, young people now, who are about to get their certificate, grade B history A level, that really means, well, it might be a B, but it might be a C, or indeed an A, nobody knows. That's what that means. Yes. I mean, that's almost a, a more terrifying admission <laughs> than one grade in four in, in, well. in fact, it's, I've done uh, some maths. The two are consistent, but you're absolutely right. But those aren't my words. One grade in four is wrong is my words. I'm totally responsible for that. It's my inference from off-course research. Grades are reliable to one grade either way is the chief regulator. And that has enormous impact on university admissions. You know, if you want to do medicine, there'll be young people out there who've got an offer of three A's, chemistry, physics, biology, uh, to get into med school, something like that. What happens if they get AAB? They don't get into med school. There's no clearing for med school because there's so much competition to get in there. But supposing that B really was an A. Or if I did get AAA and I get into med school, whoopie doop, supposing it was BBB. I'm underqualified. I might struggle. I might drop out. And I have certainly denied a place to that other young person. Now, if you are sitting down, I'm about to blow your socks off. If you do the maths, and I've done it, one in every six young people who get AAA in A-level physics, chemistry and maths on the 17th of August, one in every six should have got at least one B. And if they are going to med school, they have denied a place to the equivalent number of kids who got one B, at least, and no Cs, who should have got AAA. That's the consequences of this, even in subjects like chemistry, physics and biology. If you look at English language, history and uh, English literature, about a half of the kids with AAA merited at least one B and vice versa. So the numbers are big. And that statement from Glennis Stacey is really material. Now, what has happened more recently is another select committee from the House of Lords has had a series of meetings over the winter months and the summer months. And a lot of the key players have been there. One of them 
was a meeting uh, in March. And one of the witnesses there was a lady called Dr. Michelle Meadows. And she is currently on the faculty of the um, education department of the University of Oxford. But her former role was the executive director for strategy, risk and research at Ofcol for many years from 2016 through to post the algorithm. So she knows this stuff. And it was she who wrote that board paper that I mentioned dated 18th November 2015, which says the report is now complete. She wrote that report, so she knows. Before the committee when asked a a similar question, she said these words, I'm not making up, it's really important that people don't put too much weight on any individual grade. She was asked the straight question, is one grade in four wrong? She didn't answer it straight, but she said it's really important. And she stressed really, you can watch it on the parliamentary TV podcast. It's really important that people don't put too much weight on any individual grade. So what am I supposed to do with them? Okay, please tell me. That's an astonishing remark. And for any any teacher out there listening to this, and for myself, who I taught A-levels for years and years and years, and I was saying I'm I'm relieved not to be facing that stress this year, a grade mattered. I mean, it changed the direction of people's lives. They didn't get their first choice at university. They didn't get their second choice. They, you say, they didn't get to med school. They didn't go to Cambridge instead. They went to another university. Uh, my own daughters, who both now have grown up and doing things, they I, that was ter- it was even more terrifying when it's your own children. And the A-level grades absolutely mattered. And one, with my second daughter, there was a, there was a sort of um, worrying morning where they were considering whether her grade had been good enough to get in. And she got in to, uh, to Cambridge, as it was. But, you know, it was, it was apt. Of course, one grade matters. Well, you know, let's does. play that through. Let's suppose that here we are, 17th of August. I've just been told AAB, and I really do want to become a doctor, and the B's in physics or whatever it is. Grades are reliable to one grade either way. It's really important I don't put too much weight on these things. Do I phone up, you know, University of Birmingham Med School or whatever and say, hey, um, I've got an offer of AAA. I've got AAB, the B's in physics. Dan Stacy, the former chief regulator, is saying grades are reliable to one grade either way, so it could be an A. And anyway, Dr. Michelle Meadows is saying, don't put too much weight on it. Can I have my place, please? What is the University of Birmingham going to say? I choose Birmingham arbitrarily. Yeah, they're going to me. Yeah, absolutely. And they're going to say what universities said over the years when I've called up universities on behalf of students and said, you know, it's a really brilliant student. We think there are all sorts of extenuating circumstances for them missing this grade. Is they say, well, we, you know, sorry about that, but the, the rules are the rules. And for students to accept that, you have to assume, well, you know, it's hard, but it's an exam. And we go back to the beginning. It's fair. It's an exam. And some, you know, you missed by the tiniest margin, and that's life. It's like losing a game of football by one goal. It happens. But if, of course, there's a recognition that it was actually somewhat arbitrary, then again, that that throws the whole thing into a very well, different Well, in fact, um, you you asked, it's nice of you to ask me what has been happening over the last several months about this. It has really captured the attention of these select committees. And if I could mention an event that took place at the select committee um, on the 13th of July. Today's the 9th of August. We're recording this on the 9th of August. So the 13th of July is just four weeks ago. And the House of Lords had its select committee hearing. And the um, 
chief player uh, talking to them was Nick Gibb, the uh, Minister for School Standards, a really important figure. He's been Minister for Schools for a decade or whatever um, and has had a huge influence on, on all young people and education. And he was um, accompanied by two of the senior civil servants in DfE. Right at the end of the meeting, although no one knew that at the time, towards the end of the meeting, um, he is asked a question which refers to two things. One is that statement that Dame Glenys Stacey made, that grades are reliable to one grade either way. And one is a statement made by the current chief regulator, Dr Joe Saxton, who was on the Today Show on Monday, um, who was also before that committee a few weeks earlier, and said that grades are reliable and can be trusted. So the question is asked by uh, Lord Mike Watson of Invergowrie, and he frames it by saying, look, we've heard from the chief regulator, Danglinis Stacey, that grades are reliable to one grade either way. We've heard from the current chief regulator that grades are reliable and can be trusted. What's going on? And Mr Gibb, please tell us how reliable are grades. Now, Lord Watson is being you know, very dignified, you know, as one would expect, and he's really saying, look, one chief regulator says this, another re- chief regulator says something which appears to be totally different. Are grades reliable to one grade either way or not? Now, you really need to watch what happened next on the parliamentary TV video. What happens next is that one of the senior civil servants cuts in and says, yes, I heard that recording from Dr. Saxon where she demurred from her predecessor. He uses the word demurred. Let's talk about what that means. And he's just about to hand over to Nick Gibb to give the answer when the division bell for the Houses of Parliament rings. Lord Joe Johnson, the chair, says, ah, that's the division bell. We must go to vote. I now adjourn this meeting and I ask Mr Gibb for you to give a written answer to that question. And they all ran away. Talk about being saved by the bell. So that question, are grades reliable to one grade either way or not? did not get answered by Nick Gibb, but Nick Gibb is obliged to give a written answer. But very soon after the 13th of July, Parliament went into recess as it is now. They don't come back until the 4th of September after all the results are out, and Nick Gibb is not under any obligation to reply sooner than that. So we're going to get the answer to that question after the results are out. But all the evidence is there, it's all in the public domain and, you know, it's clear what the answer is. Yes, I saw that. I watched the replay of that and the, <laughs> the Saved by the Bell um, literally unbelievable. is what occurred. And, and so the question is now hanging in the air uh, and, a, and, a, and a question will, be, uh, will turn up at some point. It's what's it going to say? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in the end, they're not, not going to say, oh, hands up. Yes, well, dear, what a disaster. They're, they're not. Well, what, I'd be very interesting to see what he says, because I think, you know, the civil servants must be, you know, working since the 13th of July until the 4th of September, crafting something which basically gets them off the hook. But actually, the evidence of what that hook looks like is pretty profound. 
So I think it's a real problem if I were a civil servant having to draft an answer which doesn't actually admit it, but doesn't actually tell an untruth either. So when when both um, Glenn and Stacey said grades are reliable to one grade either way, that's true pretty well. When Michelle Meadows says you shouldn't put too much weight on any individual grade, that's true too. But it's not all of the truth. The truth is that, you know, 35 grades out of every 100 in GCSE, AS and A-level geography are wrong. That's the truth. And it's, you know, 39% in English. And it's, you know... It's it's astonishing. And and as we, we've already talked about, the possibly missed opportunity to look seriously at exams as a thing. But... Here we are. So if I'm listening to this and I'm a parent of a student getting their A-level grades next week or I'm a teacher, one of the things that you're hearing a lot is that oh, this, this not only are we back to normal, but grade inflation is going to be uh, rectified. And that indeed, that was part of the Michael Gove attempt to make exams harder and uh, fill up the curriculum with more knowledge and so forth, more content. Exams, we couldn't have exam. What, what's wrong? With grade inflation, shouldn't shouldn't grade inflation simply be a natural consequence of schools getting better at doing what they do, and and so on? I mean, that you would expect, wouldn't you, that there would be year on year students getting better, teachers getting better at things. Um, absolutely, and indeed, um, I think it was nineteen eighty eight when GCSEs came in. It was um, Lord Baker, or when Baker was the um, Secretary of State for Education way back then. Um, replaced the current exams, introduced GCSE. A-levels have been going for a long time. And if you actually look at what has happened year on year on year, especially through the 90s and the early 2000s, every year there would be a slight up step in, in the number of top grades. And it's really interesting to look at the newspapers because around you know GCSE or A-level results day, it would say, this is wonderful. It represents improvement in teaching quality and standards it shows how hard the youngsters are working because you know another you know half a percent of young people have got top grades so if you follow the newspaper headlines throughout those years the increase in the number of top grades was celebrated then around 208 209 210 a sour note came in because people said, no, it's not that at all. It's a softening of the standards. And of course, Michael Gove was the cheerleader of that. And of course, in 2010, I think it was, the Conservatives won the election. Uh, David Cameron came in. Michael Gove was appointed Minister of Education. He soon appointed as his SPAD one Dominic Cummings. And around 2010-11-12, all sorts of things happened to um, improve so-called rigour. Um, one of those is the instruction on Ofqual to curb grade inflation and to flatten out the distribution of grades across the piece. Ofqual itself was new at that time. The regulator was an outfit called the Qualifications and Curriculum Authority prior to that. That got scrapped. Ofqual came in. Ofqual took a much more, uh, let's say, uh, interactive approach with the exam boards to police the grade boundaries. And if you look at a graph of top grades since about 2012, 
wobbled around a bit, but more or less flat through to 2019. Now, once you've got the scripts marked, and marking is good, it's fuzzy, but that's the way it is. But marking is of high quality. What that does is that says of the 250,000 GCSE candidates, I can assign a rank order number to every candidate. The kids that get 100 are joint first, 99 joint second, all the way down to zero. So it's like a whole load of people standing up in a long line to choose the soccer team. And the captain comes down and puts a chopper between you know, two kids and says, OK, you're the first team, you're the second team. And that's what Ofcall do. They slice that rank order to choose what percentage of kids are within each grade boundary. They can't slice in the middle because there's lots of people who get 77. So the grade boundary is between 76 and 77, which is why it's a little bit varied year on year. But they choose the grade boundaries so that it comes up with the right answer. The right answer being that so many percent get this grade, so many percent get that grade. Now, that is totally arbitrary. It happens to be where it was at about 2012 or 2013, more or less. What it doesn't do is it doesn't reflect the knowledge, skills or learning of the candidates. Because it says that if I've got three candidates, one of them must fail. This is the rule they use for GCS English. Actually, I've got 800,000 candidates and a third of them fail. Let's imagine there were three candidates. One of them must fail. So it's Jane Austen, Charles Dickens and you know John Steinbeck or someone. Okay, one of them has to fail, I'm sorry. It doesn't matter how good they are as writers, but one of them has to fail. Now, if in fact they adopted a different process which said we will acknowledge what people can do, then it's quite possible for, and it should be the case in a system of education, that 100% or 99.99% of kids doing English pass English because they've been to school for so many years. And in fact, you would expect if the system were working properly as an education system, there would be a steady increase in the number of kids that actually know stuff because teaching is getting more sophisticated. We've got much better technical aids. And let's think that kids are a bit conscientious too. Okay, there'll always be a distribution. But to have a ruling that one third of students fail GCSE English and Maths. At my local hospital, I live in Rutland. I could go to the local hospital in Peterborough or whatever. I could go to the outside of the maternity ward and I can predict that in 16 years' time, one third of the infants that are born in Peterborough Hospital today will fail GCSE English because that's the way it is. To me, that's just nuts. And there are many, many groups who are lobbying against this right now. Yeah, and it's 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 hardwired into the system. It's a, it's a it's a it, it, and it's again it's political. I was offqual clearly are you know, to maintain standards. It sounds very good to maintain standards. You know, we want something to maintain standards, sort of quality control. That's what it means. And yet they're not really. They're imposing upon it a pattern. A pattern is derived from an ideology or that that comes from an idea that um, so many people should fail. That's the natural order of life. There should be this. this. So, so to, uh, to take that to its most absurd, if you put in nothing but Nobel laureates into an exam, 
You're going to th- yeah, fail. Yeah, I'm afraid so. <laughs> because there'd be some fine-graded way. In I'm afraid so. But fortunately, the good news, John, um, is that there are an increasing number of powerful communities um, that have been working on this and pushing for reform. Um, and they have published reports over the last 12, 18, 24 months. Um, the Times Education Commission, led by Rachel Sylvester, has been enormously influential. Um, there's a community called Rethinking Assessment. Um, UK Edge Foundation has been very uh, influential, EDSK. And indeed, back to the Houses of Parliament, um, as well as the two select committees, over the last year or so, there has been an all-party parliamentary group looking into this specifically, which is a mixture of Lords and People of Commons from all parties hearing testimony from all sorts of very, very interesting people in the UK and elsewhere, and trying to put together an all-party manifesto for reform, which would be adopted, they hope, whichever government comes into power after the next election. So these lobby groups and the influence they're having is a really, really uh, good hope for the future. And I much, much uh, applaud their work and would recommend anyone who's interested in this checking out those communities rethinking assessment uh, edge foundation times education commission new era assessment quite a few of them that's there's some sign of hope there two things i'd like to ask before we finish one is we had the fiasco of the of the algorithms we had lockdown and so on and it was eventually forced back my last act as a teacher in a sense was, was involved in this process to give, deliver grades for um, for students, and they said, "Well, if, if we, since we've had to ask teachers to produce teacher assessed grades, there will be grade inflation." And indeed, they, they said the grades have shot up because of this process. Well, the sky's still up there. What was the bad result of that? You know, do we know? Is there any research into into all these presumably underqualified students who got into universities they might not have got into, or got into jobs they shouldn't have got into? It seems that I can't see where we where you know. What a lovely question, uh, John. Um, John, um, I've been talking to quite a lot of academics. Um, George Leckie at the University of Bristol, um, Rob Cuthbert, UWE, and the team uh, in the University of Manchester, in particular Tom Fryer. Uh, And Tom um, and his team um, have been in the papers quite a bit because they did some research asking university admissions officers what kind of attention they pay to personal statements. And they came up with the finding that to spend two minutes reading a personal statement was probably pretty good. So Tom Fryer is exactly the kind of person, uh, and indeed the others, and there'll be many others, of course, who would love to research that, because as you say, the sky has not fallen in. But of course, what has happened to the 2020 generation, poor things, They've had such a tough time. They had the algorithm in 2020. They go up to university or college and they're locked up in their cells because of the COVID. And of course, the real kick in the teeth is what happened this summer if they were subject to the strike um, by uh, university lecturers and they didn't have their exam marks and they don't have a degree either. I think um, although the sky has not fallen in, that generation of young people have been incredibly hard hit and deserve all the generosity they they can get 
Absolutely. They did, they did got one disaster after another. And I know some friends of mine whose children have been, as you say, locked in their in their um, student accommodation for a, for, for, for a whole year of university. Last thing I'd like to look at is, so next week we get the A-level results. I had the hires in Scotland. And the A-level results come out next Thursday. What are the headlines going to be? What will we, we say we've learned from this? I mean, there's going to be, it's been trailed. So there's going to be a drop in top grades. But it's not going to be equitable. That surely one of the headlines is going to be this is not fair. That some 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 have managed better in this new system than others. Won't that be more evidence that things are very bad? Uh, yes, um, I I agree hundred um, percent. The number of top grades will be fewer than last year. Um, my hunch is that it will not be as stringent as twenty nineteen. Because Ofqual will then have the opportunity to say how generous and you know how listening they've been. So we haven't gone quite as hard as that, but we're getting there. So don't we look good? But I think that do you think sorry, I'm just going to interrupt. Do you think there's been a bit of news management there? Because you hear this sort of stuff. Well, it's going to be harder this year. Is that sort of so they can then say, well, it's not as bad as Well, ah, what an interesting thought. <laughs> um, I, I think if they dropped it down to exactly 2019, that's going to be very harsh. They will want to look good. And indeed, that's what happened in uh, Scotland. It was a little bit higher. Um, but, you know, the direction of travel is clear. However, I 100% agree with you that all of those attainment gaps will get wider. Because if you take the north-south uh, gap, or indeed the independent state school gap, um, although young people have had two years of a full GCSE or A-level programme, they were not at the same position on the starting blocks and for the most part disadvantaged young people during the covid lockdown were behind their more advantaged uh, age peers when they started either gcse or a level and therefore they will get to the finish line that more quickly so there will be more higher grades to the already advantaged more lower grades to the already disadvantaged and the disadvantage gap i am absolutely convinced will be even bigger this year than it's been before and that once again is a manifestation of the failure of the system to to cope with this well, Dennis, thank you so much that was a fascinating insight as always into a system that's very close to me i it was my lifetime for, for many years um that was that was fascinating so thank you so much for joining me again and uh, we will see what the headlines bring about next Thursday. And to all of you listening, if you've got your A-level results coming out, best of luck. And and, uh, and with your teachers, I know what you're going through. And uh, my thanks to you, John. And let me echo exactly what you said. Um, to all the young people, I wish you every luck in the world. You've worked incredibly hard. Your achievements should be recognised. They should be recognised fairly. So... My thanks to you, John, and all the best for next week. And that concludes this week's Friday Morning Break with John Gibbs and my guest, Dennis Sherwood, who, as always, shared some interesting light on our marking system in this country. To those of you who've received the results this week, best of luck in the future.
You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24.